0: Every time I think of it, I start smiling. Imagine living in Cuba, going to medical school in Cuba and having this dream of one day practicing medicine. And then you somehow get the ability to leave Cuba and get to Canada and go to McGill to complete your medical school. And you somehow after that get a job in the ER, which seems like it would be the dream after that many years of studying and trying and not sleeping and not eating and all what it takes to get into the ER and you're practicing. And when you're finally there, you realize this is not what I want to do. And there's something better because the whole reason why I I did this was to make people healthy. And I don't see myself doing that. So it sounds unreasonable to think that after all that investment, you would walk away and say, I quit, but guess what? We're joined by the F Sosa today, who did exactly that. He literally, As a medical doctor in the emerge was doing this work did all this work to come here from cuba get his licensing done pass every exam miss so many nights of sleep once he finally got there and started doing the work he said this is not medicine i quit thank you for joining us man.
1: (laughs) thank you thank you so much kashif thank thank you for having me here it's a great pressure you know to to be part of this so yeah uh, we just
0: need to tell your story man because it says there's so there's two things first of all i don't think a lot of doctors disagree with you you know they they already experience some of what you're experiencing there's the whole half of the awareness like oh wow there's a problem the other half is like having the guts to walk away and saying i'm gonna all of what i built and all that great income that i now have and the title and the prestige and all the stuff that comes. i no thanks right there's something better so what was that better thing that you were striving for so
1: let me start by saying that I discovered like natural or functional medicine in 2015.
0: Okay. And you you started practicing a few years before that. It was like 2010,
1: Like right? in 2016 or so, I started actually practicing functional medicine. Okay. But I discovered, so I was doing ER from 2010 all the way until 2017. Okay. So seven years. So there was a, like a little bit of an overlap. A little overlap. bit of crossover, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what happened was that I discovered, you know, my, I wasn't healthy anymore. So my brain got foggy, I gained weight and I have a history of a skin, you know, autoimmune problem like right. psoriasis. And I was, I, you know, I was scared for my health because I started developing allergies, uh, you know, like weight gain, as I said, my, yeah. my skin got worse, etc. And that's how I went on Google. Yeah. And that's when I said, you know, let me figure out what other modalities and what other sciences are saying about psoriasis. And that's how I learned about, you know, what is an naturopath? Uh, what do physiotherapists do? An osteopath, the chiropractor. So what exactly do they do? Because as a traditionally trained physician, the, the message we get is that it's quackery, like yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. So basically... That's how I discovered functional medicine. Yeah. And after doing all the training and everything, I tried to change my scope of practice from ER shifts onto functional medicine. And that's where it got interesting.
0: Yeah. That's when you start to see things and, yeah.
1: So first of all, the process that you need in order to, to change your scope. So you need to find a mentor that is in good standings with the college and, um, Then you have to be under their care, you know, like doing some, like, almost like an internship where you basically, you know, work and under them. And that's how you eventually get released by the college in order to practice on your own. Right. So the first doctor that I found right after I was called because this gentleman was kind of almost on the edge of retirement and What I did is that I started working in that clinic because I really had hope that I was going to have him as a mentor and that I was going to be able to do, you know, that process there and then eventually would be on my own. Right. So the response that I got from the college is that he was not fit. He was not admissible to be a mentor. So he was not in good standings with the college.
0: Oh, really? And And did they give you reasons why?
1: Uh, Yes, so he had some issues with uh, clinical records, etc. Okay. And basically, this person was about 70 years old, was actually exactly 70 years old. And when you reach that age, the college does an audit to see if you're still fit Mm. to practice medicine. So that process for this physician was so, so, so stressful that he got sick. Oh, wow. And about three months later, he died. Wow. So the audit killed
0: him. (laughs) Kind
1: of. (laughs) Like, you can say those words. Yeah. Like, definitely. Oh, wow. So that was... It was very, you know, shocking to, to see that, you know, like, this is a person that has been doing natural medicine and helping people for so long. And he didn't really have any major safety problems. Like, he didn't really cause harm to the adverse
0: events like people walking around dropping dead it was more like they're healthy but he didn't keep his records properly
1: exactly exactly so he had to take some courses and he he was like on some kind of list for the college and also because most doctors that actually do like natural medicine end up in some kind of list Uh that you know it's definitely not in good standings with the college at the same time I continued looking for other mentors. And then my, you know, what I could see is that most doctors that, as I said, do this, have some kind of history with the college, and they are either denied, but the one that I found that could possibly was in good standing with the college, it was not in alignment with my personal values. Okay. So I don't know, you see the picture that you really have some kind of system systematic oppression towards anything that is not like traditional protocols and the drugs and procedures that come with western medicine
0: right so somebody that says that i i've done what i've done i'm ready but i want to learn more and it goes beyond whatever i can prescribe there's things i want there's no avenue or channel or conduit to access that for you because it kind of puts a threat on your license is essentially what it looks like right exactly yeah exactly. and I think the the quackery thing you talked about it's kind of like this license to speak of things as quackery but mm-hmm. really what it is is that unless it, it's been through this uh, evidence-based clinical trial model they're not allowed to use it right there has to be some health Canada FDA type clearances so that but stretching it from this hasn't been reviewed in a certain format or context to its quackery And it's kind of this license that's been printed to say things are quackery that aren't. Just because the modality of how they're used, they don't need that kind of trial, right? I understand when it comes to a drug, when you're putting a chemical in your body, you want clinical data because of safety. Mm -hmm. Efficacy is anecdotal. If I take a herb and it works and I'm not sick anymore, it worked. Exactly. Right? It's safe. It's food. So we're, we're using this thing that's designed for safety to then all of a sudden call efficacy quackery when that wasn't even what it was for right so so you come into the the topic of the
1: evidence right and you know what i can say very boldly yeah i'm very bold is that we really can don't have the freedom to actually express what we what we think like the the physician's intuition is kind of canceled right we have to follow those protocols and we have to really wait and echo just the evidence that is fabricated by the ones that have financial interests in all of these processes in right. all of these you know drugs and procedures, et etc. So in functional medicine, we really focus on the evidence, not only just the scientific evidence, it cannot just be the science right So you really have to take that into consideration because that is part of some kind of reproducible. You know process that you know like kind of links with causality, like you know that something is caused by something and it's not something else, we need to be academic, yeah, but then there's two other factors that are really important number one is the the patient's preferences and values that actually needs to be personalized, and number two is the physician's expertise right and I find that it's absolutely crazy to say that you know if something worked for me that oh it doesn't work it just you are just crazy like it worked for you but it's anecdotal we don't know yeah so we we have this kind of red ret- rhetoric that we, do, we cannot know anything unless it comes from that fabricated evidence
0: right yeah and an evidence model that's designed not to create personalization right it's designed to create one size fits all exactly yeah and then there's always in a one size fits all model there's always you know a little bit of people for who works amazing Mm -hmm. and there's a bigger chunk in the middle where it's kind of okay and then there's some stragglers at the end where it doesn't work at all right so you end up failing ultimately what the intention was where really that great response only happens to like 20 30 percent of people right and there's
1: also one percentage that you forgot that actually experience harm right yeah and for that we have insurance yeah yeah so the whole system is really wrapped up on that sense and that's what made me wake up and say well we are not really being proactive about people's health right um and the bias is so overwhelmingly present because you just have to follow the money if i am healthy then they don't make money yeah so, and then we look at the statistics, like we really have to have the courage to look at the reality with our eyes. And you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm 47, so I'm almost 50 yeah. and I have 20 years of clinical experience in my back and in three different languages and three different systems. And guess what? They all do the same.
0: Yeah. You can't use your experience of it unless it's within the guidelines exactly yeah and i understand that for safety but how do you innovate and discover if you're never allowed to bring in something new exactly right if you're only allowed to bring in what's new by a supplier that made it (laughs) right you're on the front lines you're the ones with the patients that are seeing what works and what doesn't work but -hmm. you're not allowed to bring that data forward because you didn't build a lab somewhere and build it out of a chemical right exactly so so when you went out and started practicing you obviously it sounds like like you said there was a couple years overlap So you already had this in mind, you know, and you were kind of working on it. Where was the backlash or was there any? Did you find that there was like some friction that pushed you away or was it more just your own choice? So interesting. So
1: after so basically, as as I said, I I really thought that the process was going to be smooth and everything was going to work absolutely fine. But um, the college basically came after me. And they said, well, we have, you are under investigation for uh, practicing outside of your scope. Okay. So it is in their maximum uh, convenience, optimal convenience, that each doctor has their scope of practice. And if, you know, if there is a doctor that can fix many things, they find that threatening.
0: So what, what exactly were what you doing that they said was out of scope?
1: Functional medicine. So I was supposed to just do, if you do ER, yeah, you basically have to go back one year, on if you cannot even go and do family practice, like when you are a primary care provider, yeah, in the emergency and you see like kids, you see geriatrics, you see everything, yeah. So doing family medicine, you know, going and sitting and you know taking care of high blood pressure and diabetes and just doing medications, it's not very difficult. Yeah, like you have that kind of expertise but they make it a very complex process as if you were doing a totally different science like if you were going to do surgery or something right so um right after i got so basically they came after me for being after the scope uh, for being practicing outside the scope and um and then a few weeks later then i had an actually official complaint oh wow from somebody else so i saw some kind of young person Who was on two antidepressant medications. Right. And I explained the risks of that. And uh, she had anxiety. And uh, I basically gave her some lifestyle modifications, including magnesium, uh, vitamin B6, 5 HTP. Right. Try a gluten and dairy free diet. So, in order to really reverse or, you know, like get off those meds, because she was still also in fertile age. Right. So all of those, all of that advice, she found that very dangerous. And she felt that I was not supposed to have a, a medical pri- a license. And then there was a, a formal practice, uh, sorry, a formal malpractice uh, complaint that was placed against me. And then I had to go through. The CMPA lawyer, the Canadian Medical Protective Association. Wow. So why do we need that association anyway? (laughs) Right? So I basically went through nine months of writing. So this uh, lawyer had to give her all the information on what happened, et cetera. And she was writing back and forth with the college. Nine months later, they basically come out with a one-liner saying that, There's no evidence that I exploded the patient or that I harmed the patient or anything like that. Yeah.
0: But they will not let let it go. So everything that you named, the 5-HTP, the B6, all this stuff, these are all, I can walk into any drugstore and buy them Mm -hmm. with no prescription. They are all Health Canada approved already. Mm -hmm. We're talking about practice in Canada, right? Yes. So I could walk into a drugstore, Health Canada has already vetted and provided what's called an NPN, natural product number, to put on the label to show that it's been approved for safety and efficacy, and that the claim on the label is accurate. But if an MD tells me to buy those things, they're wrong. Yes. But I can go buy it myself. And the company that makes it can tell me on the label that this is what it's for, and Health Canada will stamp and certify that it's possible, you're allowed to sell it for that purpose. Exactly. But you who went to school for half your life can't tell me to take it. And so 5-HTP, like we know. So anxiety, serotonin, right? That that the gene is called 5 T L P R. That's what the serotonin gene is called. And that's why the supplement, you know, you're taking again, you're, you're supplementing with exactly what you need to regulate this dysregulated serotonin, which would lead to this anxiety issue. Exactly. Science already exists. There's nothing that uh, is contraindicating other than the fact that you're saying, you're not diagnosing and masking a condition you're looking at the biochemistry failure and supporting what was actually wrong so that they don't need to have a condition exactly and you got nailed for that absolutely wow (laughs) and i can tell you more so
1: i i basically realized the whole system and then when i saw the pandemia that was the cherry on the ice cream yeah (laughs) yeah and then in may 2020 like may 31st 2020 my license expired and i said yes you got me one complaint or two yeah and those are the last ones
0: so you didn't bother renewing that's right yeah and i
1: also fill out the form to say i quit and i am not coming back unless the whole system changes wow
0: so did you get calls from cuba saying you're crazy
1: (laughs) (laughs) um I still I still think that there's a lot of people that look at me like a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um the 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 campaign that the mainstream media has and I don't understand why doctors stopped practicing medicine just to practice covid. Everything is covid and covid right. and and it's like one size that doesn't fit anyone. Like one size fits none. Right. Like what kind of medicine is that? Like I, I could I could not do that. I could not Go to work every day, knowing that I was going to be just doing COVID. Right, and I I am in my practice when I when COVID started, I was working still in a walking clinic. Okay, and I received patients. Oh doctor, like so so scared and super distressed. I got I tested positive for COVID, and the hospital sent me home to do nothing. And to call them next week to see if I need to go to the ICU or if I need a ventilator. So Mm -hmm. those were the hospital instructions, right? And uh, on my end, I gave those patients vitamin D and zinc and azithromycin, and three days later they were absolutely fine.
0: Yeah, and this was while you were licensed. Yes. And did you get any backlash for that? No. No. No, because you
1: know, like patients don't really. They were like getting the help, right? So I don't, I didn't get any patients that were like turning back at me because patients were actually they being, were getting better. They were getting better. Yeah. But I had a lot of emotional charge towards the system yeah. and what was going on. So I said, I, if I stay in this system, I'm going to get sick. I I, I can't do this.
2: Yeah. So yeah. then
1: I jumped to become an entrepreneur, and uh, just jumped into a great, a big adventure where I had a lot of unknowns, lots of risks, but it seems that that is like an area where I thrive. I don't you know, know how.
0: A lot of people will say that um, doctors, and this is a generalization, doctors make the worst entrepreneurs, right? That you hear that, it's a cliche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how true that is. I think what it is, is that doctors are so pigeonholed in what they do that they don't have the freedom to think like entrepreneurs, but to become a doctor, you have to have the risk-reward system of an entrepreneur. You have to be able to lock yourself in a room for eight years, right? Mm-hmm. Focus hard, work, like grind away, become a master of some something, right? Uh, and then you, you still continue to build your brand within the system and who you are. So it's all similar traits. It's just all that's missing is the kind of uh, risk of not having something to lean on, a salary, right? That, that, that cushion. That's the thing that gets people from and you see this in lots of professions you know i have a friend that's a banker that wants to leave and start his own practice but he just can't leave his salary it's too comfortable right what about the mortgage what about etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh you were driven however by something more powerful than money it was pain it was health yes. I and mean, when you start to think about losing your life money doesn't matter that much you know and so all, all of a sudden you made a decision that most can't make so but so now that you did that so your entrepreneurial engine turned on you said i'm leaving i don't need the system to support me i can support myself did you run and open a clinic or what was the next step the next step
1: was to i, I enrolled in quantum university okay and i am i registered in the program as a quantum health coach because the thing is that so i got the full the full functional medicine training then i did one year of genomics like doing webinars kind of Every Wednesday, like mm. an hour to an hour and a half to two hours for about a year, going through all those pathways. So after I had done functional medicine, going deeper into the biochemistry was really right. the right thing to do. Yeah. And then when I was ready to work, what happened was that I could not go into functional medicine. So I ended up doing cannabis. Mm. So my, my story is that when I was in the emergency, yes, I had a good income but when i went to do cannabis i was helping children okay and in order to thrive in any clinic pretty much in this system you need to do volume yeah so you have to write like i don't know 40 to 50 cannabis prescriptions and really almost not even talk to people so that you can make some kind of decent income Mm -hmm. and i
0: also did not do that okay you took your time with the patients
1: i was doing 20 minutes for for patients with autistic children right and and people that have sleep and like um mood problems chronic pain i could not see somebody just in two minutes yeah and just give them the prescription i was working with people and telling them you know like stop the meat uh, sorry stop the carbs stop the grains like things that actually may help for Mm -hmm. real so that actually i was not thriving financially in that system anyway so i said you know why staying anyway so that yeah i, I didn't i didn't even have the salary reason to stay in that yeah. system yeah right so i said well if with all this training then all all i have to do is to go and, and build an online business and i'm going to be absolutely awesome yeah but um yeah that is that is something that is another chapter. from the point of view of entrepreneurship mindset, uh, me as a doctor, as soon as I got into the internship
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the University of Montreal, so what do we get? We get the bank green light for debt, right. So what happened is that what happens is that we get not only that people call us doctors, that we get money from the bank, like credit, like infinite credit. No. Basically, I could even disclose that when I, ex- when I uh, dropped my license and I called the bank, they said, well, if you keep your, your license, you kept your license, you would actually have like a line of credit of $350,000, no questions asked.
0: Well, that was part of the pitch. Oh, well, you're kidding yes oh wow
1: from the college or from who no well that is actually the agreement of the bank towards physicians right in uh, people who were working for covid okay and throughout covid the payments were like very 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 generous okay so that is also part of the reason why all this operation has been successful
0: right yeah. We've heard a lot of that in the U S where there's certain diagnoses and certain treatments that got like the whole ventilator problem that happened with people that literally were killed because of ventilators, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it was a financial incentive that drove it, but for the, you know, the, the doctors also didn't know what they were doing, right. It, it made sense the ventilator and like, Hey, if I get paid extra, why not? You know, uh, but now we know a little more at the time, other people knew, but I don't
1: know, like, I, me, I as, said, as, as, you know, in emergency you do critical care, mm-hmm. so if you're telling me that somebody with a viral pneumonia, mm-hmm. your number one and gold standard treatment is going to be to ventilate them, and I would not agree with that treatment, and I mm-hmm. don't want it for myself, and I would not deliver it, because everyone knows that if you, once you, you want to avoid intubating people. Yeah. Because once they become dependent, there is like intersc- intercostal muscle atrophy and right. respiratory muscle atrophy, which prolongs state. The stay in the hospital, it prolongs rehabilitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's associated with higher mortality. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that as you know, the, only, you know, the only available treatment, and let me share with you that within a month of the pandemic starting, I received a a survey from the college and they wanted to know what I thought about vaccine
0: hesitancy. Within a month of the pandemic starting, you're talking about, wow, ground zero. Yes.
1: Okay. So I knew that this was, this pandemic was to vaccinate everyone. It's not like we are here. At the beginning, it was conspiracy. So can you tell me what part of that is conspiracy now? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And then you, you, you heard these politicians talking about new normal and then this deployment of resources for people and, and then, you know, like even depriving people from movement and light, I will never accept that as medicine. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very angry and upset seeing how all of these measures that are so harmful and make no sense. Were followed by the, by the you know for most people, and how they deployed all of this with guns and fines and censorship since day one of this pandemic, hmm. because I I heard you know videos from doctors from nurses crying, saying this is this is not right this this is you know this is not what they are saying, and the disease that we are seeing is not a viral pneumonia. I have been, you know, doctors that I say have been doing critical
0: care for years now.
1: And what we're seeing is something else.
0: So how do you argue with all the people that say, well, I had three people in my family die from this disease. You're crazy.
1: So then you you have to ask them, so how did did they die? In order to really say that a vital illness is killing someone, we need to have proof that that viral load is off the charts Mm -hmm. in the blood at the time of death and that they were actually sick because of the virus. right? And what we saw was mostly, like it's actually in the statistics, that 90% of the people who passed away were elderly with comorbid conditions. Mm -hmm. So we never, like the the young people that I saw, they, they recovered fine. And yes, you could get thrown back in bed for two weeks. Influenza could do that. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, like where did influenza go all this uh, last year, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, like I really could not believe all of this. You know, so, like- did,
0: so you're, so you got the survey, you didn't agree with uh, sort of the protocols. What happened when you tried to practice, or did you did you try to do what you wanted, and did did you get pushback, or was there? You know, how did you get through from being forced to intubate somebody to how do you say no to that? Or were you even able to?
1: No, I was working in a walking clinic.
0: Oh, you had already switched gears at that point. I had gears. Yes. I yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: had changed gears.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was
1: doing part-time cannabis. Right, right, right. Part-time a walking clinic.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So I was not in hospitals anymore. Right. When COVID hit, I was doing the calls, uh, virtual calls from my home.
0: right virtual consults with people that were sick exactly okay like lots of colds
1: uh lots of people with anxiety um i got called from males from for erectile dysfunction like right. more than ever i was yeah. like really yeah <laughs> so it's like yeah stress does that so yeah I really you have to really ex- ex- explain to people yeah what what is the reason of of that um renewing medications like it's not A system that values health right it values the protocols and you know like really prescribing same medications over and over that is the established system
0: Hmm. so in the ER I mean that's very different where you're dealing with more acute things where people literally needs a solution right there and then Mm -hmm. so I understand that what we do in acute care is amazing you know the ability to wrap somebody's broken bone or fix that terminal condition or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the training that you get in the acute care, this is the thing that I've always seen is that you have this toolkit for how do you mask a problem, but that's the same toolkit we use for disease, right? Mm -hmm. In your training, is there any delineation or separation between here's how we handle acute, go fix it versus here's chronic. Let's understand why it happened or is it just the same?
1: Let's understand why it happens is really the the right question, but it's exactly what the system doesn't want you to go to okay so the why they would say that they will need you know like i don't know how many amounts of years into the future in order to prove to see they want the randomized controlled trial for everything It's mm-hmm. like yeah, no, like you cannot clone like do a hundred of me yeah. and then d- divide it in fifty lief that actually have nothing and then 50 liefs like no you cannot do like individualized practice because it all comes down to a statistical game that includes harm right so biochemical individuality are concepts that they don't they don't understand They, they say that it's too difficult most doctors actually are cynical about getting into the details and you know when you get like, I want to be academic and understand the whys, etc. Mo- many doctors act also like, um, like in like they don't, no, oh, I just give me the, what is easy, etc. Mm-hmm. And you know, like we should be more academic. Mm-hmm. I find that in this system here compared to Cuba, Cuba and Europe have very similar systems where you get a lot of text a lot of content like you really Mm -hmm. stuff your mind with a lot of knowledge but then when you are in front of a person you don't really have a strong system to figure them out like in tick 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 like and that actually is what i got with the system here Mm
2: -hmm. the
1: system here is designed for the revolving door one problem at a time and one pill at a time
0: you know, you reminded me of something. I was talking to a clinician yesterday from Austin, Texas, right? And I was talking to him about exactly this and the difference between mostly the United States. We weren't even talking about Canada, but the United States versus Europe and other countries like South America, Cuba, et etc., right? And this is what he said. He said that Americans, and he was generalizing, he said the average American that he sees will accept the quick and easy answer because they're mentally lazy. Mm-hmm. Why are they mentally lazy? Because of the food that they eat. Mm-hmm. If you talk to the European or the South American or the person that has the openness and the ability and the you know receptiveness to take that information, they don't. They're they're mentally active. They're yes. mentally energized. So they actually have the capacity to have that conversation. Yes. Right. So if you even have the clinician, on the average mass day to day, you know, uh, family private practice, right. The patient themselves Doesn't want to know Exactly right? They don't want They just want the band-aid First of all If they've learned That that is what They're supposed to get Right mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want And when I break myself You fix me That's your job Second is The state that they're in The numbness The you know it's bec- The food that they eat Like you're talking about The gut The dairy The grains All this stuff They don't have the capacity To go that far Right Yes So he said that I, I see this all the time And even if I want to help them they don't have the energy to take it in, but talk about Cuba, talk about Europe, look at what they eat, look at how they live, right? So you then all of a sudden have the ability to do this, right? So you see that in sort of the functional medicine circles and people that are sort of paying for proactive medicine, but they're also probably eating properly and exercising properly and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're receptive to it. But yeah, it's interesting that you say that. So, you know, now that you're running the practice, you're into it now this is that's all everything we talked about is old news though right here your way it's history you're now a functional medicine practitioner who happened to go to university for 10 years to become an ER ER doctor first to decide you didn't like it so what what are the things you're now doing what are you doing with people who comes to you what are their problems how do you fix them so basically
1: what we what we do is that we help uh people in the we like to work with independent thinkers Mm-hmm. just because of what you said we are living in a very unfortunate culture that actually profits from people' passiveness mm-hmm. and they actually just invite you to do nothing and then the downstream they just give you you know some something to to calm or to treat the symptoms mm-hmm. so what we do right now is that we we actually learned precision medicine and functional medicine and what we do is that we, we can craft a very personalized lifestyle plan for people according to their DNA makeup. Mm-hmm. So this is very powerful. Uh, the most relevant case that I have is probably myself, because I could learn, you know from the point of view of my genomics report, that I have problems with my vitamin D receptors that mm-hmm. actually explains the autoimmune problem. Right. The number two thing that I discovered that made a big, big difference is my serotonin genes. Mm -hmm. So since I take, since I support my serotonin with 5-HTP, CBD, St. John's Wort, so I even uh, medicinal mushrooms, all of those actually support your serotonin. And when you support your mood, you are also supporting your sleep. Mm -hmm. So I got into Mm. deep sleep and the experience of calmness mm-hmm. because I was talking about that earlier today that I, was, I discovered like how anxiety and even any nervousness and stress, etc., are part of immune system activation. Mm-hmm. And they could be, you know, part of your mind work or it could be separate. Meaning, so I basically experienced this myself. I, when I was working in year in ER, I was working in, in a hotel. I, I was living almost in a hotel for 10 days at a time. Mm-hmm. And I was taking a regular breakfast in that hotel. So after my shift, not particularly stressed out, like being, you know, like one normal day, I finished my breakfast and then I felt like nervous. Wow. And I was like, why am I feeling nervous when I am not stressed out? Mm-hmm. When there's nothing like I have a big leg in front of me, <laughs> everything is perfect, making good money, no, no stress. So that's when I understood that it goes way beyond that. So if you get scared about that immune reaction, what do you call that? Anxiety. Mm-hmm. If you don't get scared about it, then you basically can look into it and understand you know even measuring your pulse after eating can give you a good idea if you are you know intolerant or allergic to a certain type of food or or not so understanding how immune system activation and how that disrupts hormones etc that was huge hmm. in order to understand mental health as something that starts in the gut
0: mm-hmm. and you essentially you're saying you have to rethink how you think about the problem. It's not that exact. here's this thing that I'm feeling now I'm worried because I have it. Right. Yes. It's more that I've pushed some dial too hard or too slow. And now this is the warning sign. Exactly. Now let's focus and fix it. Yes. Right. So it's kind of like the trigger as opposed to the problem. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So what I like to say to my clients yeah, in terms of neurotransmitters, I love mental health. So we need nutrients to make the neurotransmitters, and for that we have enzymes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and those enzymes can have polymorphisms or SNPs, mm-hmm. as we call uh, call them in genomics, and if you know that, you can actually give the cofactors that that enzyme uses. Right. So once the neurotransmitter has been made, one is it actually needs to jump in the bloodstream onto a protein that transports it. Mm-hmm. And if that protein is not properly configured and there's not enough affinity between the neurotransmitter and that protein, then you can overflow. You can have problems of availability of that neurotransmitter if that transporter is problematic. Mm -hmm. Then once, you know, like all neurotransmitters and hormones in cellular communication, they communicate something far away from the cell. Mm And at the other end, on the target organ, we have receptors. Right. So once that receptor is activated, then an action happens. And if that receptor is also has uh, polymorphisms, that is also something that can change that outcome. Yeah. Good receptor, bad receptor. Right. Yeah. And then uh, the last step is elimination and recycling of the useful cofactors because our body is amazing and has a very inner wisdom and intelligence that is always aiming for homeostasis or Mm -hmm. keeping us in balance. Mm -hmm. And basically, when you do a genomics report, you can actually see whatever is clinically relevant for that person on each of those steps. And you can have like so many options to change those things. And it's it's not just vitamins and minerals. It is also herbs, is acupuncture, it is environmental measures that you can do, avoiding certain modalities of technology, like it's the sky's the limit mm-hmm. of how many things we can do to modify how
0: our genes
1: get expressed.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's like your body's doing all this phenomenal stuff to protect you, mm-hmm. and it thinks it's doing everything right, but it's you in the wrong environment, nutrition, or lifestyle exposure that is causing that thing to either work too hard or too slow. Exactly. Right. Remove yourself from that improper exposure and you'll be at this homeostasis. You'll be at this, you know, like women, like why do we go into menopause? Well, you don't want estrogen toxicity as you age when you no longer need to be fertile, right? You. It's worth the pain and the struggle during the fertility stage when you want children. Why does your body through nature shut it off after some time? Because that many years of estrogen toxicity leads to disease, right? Uh-huh. why that's one of the things that happens right and why absolutely i have why, something to say about that yeah yeah okay well tell me what do you have to say
1: <laughs> i i think that menopause yeah. has become a disease yeah in a world where we're living in an estrogen dominant world yes. yeah, yeah so i believe that ladies are, are like over like given like given way too many hormones yeah starting with you know like body creams um, makeup, deodorant, shampoo—all of it has estrogen. Yeah. Then they actually are encouraged to go on the pill. Yeah. And most of the contraceptive hormonal contraceptives that we see carry some kind of harm. Yeah. Because not all ladies can actually metabolize all that amount of estrogen, plus what comes from the environment. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that they develop this estrogen dominance and then when they reach their 50s all that drops all of a sudden right and because they have had so much influx of estrogen from the outside then their ability to produce their own estrogen in the adrenal glands which Mm -hmm. is the only one has not been needed for for years and years and years and then all of a sudden that just plums down yeah and that's when menopause becomes a disease. Of hormonal deficiency because of the environment that we are in.
0: Yep. It goes back to what you said that the body is designed to do something brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. There's a purpose to menopause. The reason why it's such a pain point for women is because this thing that you're doing at a one out of 10, you're now doing at a six out of 10 because of your environmental exposures, because of the extra hormones, because of the toxic estrogens that are fueled by birth control and BHRT, hormone replacement therapy, and chemicals in the water or whatever, all that stuff. So that's where you have to bring it back to understanding genomically. What are you designed to do? We're not exact. all the same, right? And yes. if you understand what you're designed to do, then all of a sudden you understand what are those things that would turn those dials where I could have had a great menopause, right? Yes. If I knew what I was actually designed for, or I could have a horrible menopause if I didn't know and made all the wrong decisions. It's not taken for granted that it's meant to happen. And this is true for all chronic conditions. Exactly. Right? So that's amazing that you're doing that work. So P- so you're, you're virtual. So how do people reach you if they want to work with you? So I have a website,
1: yeah. uh, sosalifecoach.com. Okay. And there you can actually click book with me, and you're going to have a discovery call form that is, is pretty much to really understand what are your needs. And we, we can go on a call in order to see if we are a good fit to work together and if you are actually willing to do the work, because it's not that I am a magician as we just said. So we actually have access to knowledge and the source, but the health outcome will depend on the person. If you are willing to do that work, how well you actually are able to stay away from, from stress. Like how are, how are you able to understand the triggers that are in your environment that could get you out of balance and how you can modulate that so that you basically stay in your game and avoid illnesses and avoid chronic diseases. So we like to work with, as I said, independent thinkers that want to know how their bodies work and stop trying multiple blind treatments. Mm -hmm. So you really go to the goal, you go to the target of whatever is really important for you And I know that there's people who are taking like a lot of supplements, and I did that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Taking like handful of supplements. And sometimes we need to do that for a period of time. But personally, I believe that no one is designed to be on X milligrams of something all year round.
2: Correct, yeah.
1: Our bodies need cycle, we need that diversity, and our nutrients are actually in, in reservoirs mm-hmm. and once they are full then they overflow and that's what happens with uh, side effects and then because we understand that it's not in linear pathways it's actually 3d networks we provide so you know if i give you for example b12 i have to give you other methylation mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, elements as well as magnesium in order to eliminate the surge of of uh, stimulation that B12 can cause, etc. So it's really not the mood and even no diseases is a switch on or off. It's really a long journey yeah. that needs compassion. And sometimes we progress, sometimes we plateau, and then we regress. And we need, you know, some guidance and motivation throughout the journey. And I personally believe that Our bodies are not designed to fall apart Right If we do the right thing Mostly, you know, before it's too late Because at some point there is a point Of no return um, You can age well Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to Go into dementia And, you know, start having pains and aches And then moving less I think that all of those things Are part of our mindset
0: Yeah, it's the aging, well, well, how you age and disease is a choice that we know, chronic disease, right? Mm-hmm. I And I remember speaking to a clinician in New York last week who uh, specializes in what he calls aging medicine, right? How do you, how do you age better? And I, I said, what's the next big problem? He said, it's dementia. I said, why? He said, because people are living longer. I said, but why would that mean that there's going to be more dementia? He said, because the things dementia isn't a prescription it's not meant to happen it's the choices that we make that lead us there yes so the problem is that because people are living longer that thing those choices the food the stress or whatever there's more exposure to that for longer yes so they're going to reach that finish line right exactly there's some people for whom genetically that trigger would have got them there a lot faster Yes. We're now the people that are resilient that could handle that problem, but eventually would crash. We're also getting them, them too. Right. Exactly. So he said, that's the next big crisis in healthcare because we're getting people to live longer. We're going to see more dementia and Alzheimer's because they're just exposed to the thing that causes it for longer, which in it itself speaks to, he didn't even realize what he was saying, <laughs> that it's your nutrition choices that get you there. It's not a disease that's meant to happen. Exactly. Right? So this is awesome. All the work you do. I mean, it. in order to achieve true health, Optimize, meaning that what is my maximum potential? Everybody has different potential. What is your own personal maximum? You have to work with somebody because it's not, just like you said, tweaking those dials on the supplements, tweaking those dials on nutrition. There's no, even when it's personalized, it's still not final. No. Right. You still need to tweak and adjust. You might decide that it's summertime. You need to get fit and your exercise changes. What does that do to your body? Right. You might decide it's time to have another kid. It's fertility time or, you know, whatever that thing is. If you, your, your body's in flux, you're, you're, you've got to be chasing that with the flux of how do you deal with your health, right? And that's exactly. where I think working with somebody like yourself is amazing because you, you're able to coach people through as opposed to wait, get sick, treat it, and then I'll call you next time.
1: Absolutely. Right. And so. that's the
0: reason that
1: also justifies that we offer a membership model. Okay. So we'd really like to give you like to see you over a period of time. Right, because implementing these changes takes time and the easiest thing is to fall off the wagon Yeah, and that is fine, we all yeah. do it I do it, but w- our duty to ourselves and to our health, for our children for the future, is to get back on, on the rail mm-hmm. and really do the right thing so that we keep our vitality and our bodies are resilient yeah. we don't have to be perfect 100% because we know how many environmental toxins we are exposed to. And we still thrive. Yeah. And there's people who actually with all of those toxins, they still reach to their 80s and 90s. Like yeah. smoking good and health. drinking and doing all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if they didn't? Right. Right? Yeah. So, and then if you, or if you do it with moderation, like it's not all about a yes or no. It's about how much can you get away with, yeah. according to your
0: genes, according to your personal genes. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like I know that if there is a buffet here, I'm not gonna eat everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we used to do that, and we we live in a in a in a, in a culture like you know the, the TV that actually is is really seducing us all the time with really delicious, over palatable foods that are not necessarily like nutrition or nurturing right yeah
0: yeah well, this was awesome man this is a great discussion i'm sure people are going to love it thank you dr sosa am i still allowed to call you a doctor
1: yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: the f sosa you got the website we'll put it in the notes where you can share see it and i would urge you you know take the time to work on something like this thank you again for coming on this was awesome
1: thank you so much thank you for having me um it's it's a great it's a great uh, you know like opportunity being here and uh, thank you so much for allowing me to share my story. No, and it's
0: great. Thank you. Man. And uh,
1: yeah. I really appreciate All it. All right. <laughs> thank Thanks. you.